0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Ashley Perry advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office join us each week to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Uh, Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now, with no further ado, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry.
1: Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, We are now six days after the lists were officially closed for the upcoming uh, elections in November, November 1st, I should say. Um, And um, as people know, uh, Israel has proportional representation system, which means that uh, lists are submitted for the different parties and the proportion of the votes for each party dictates the proportion of members of Knesset um, uh, that that, that each party will receive. Uh, Usually um, when the lists, are handed in on that last day, there's usually very little drama. This are usually known in advance. Um, there's nothing too exciting about it. Um, usually the sort of jockeying takes place a few days before. Uh, and sometimes there's a little bit of drama, but everyone knows how it will work out. most uh, That's what most people thought this time as well. And in fact, um, they were wrong. Uh, myself included. Uh, most people thought that the joint list, uh, the three Arab parties, apart from um, uh, Ram, who broke away uh, last elections, uh, the Hadash, Tal, and Balad uh, list, three Arab parties, different ideologies, you have a bit of nationalism, you have a bit of communism there, um, different parties, but they run together for you know, expediency because they don't, none of them on their own will pass the electoral threshold. Rahm tried it successfully, but uh, probably none of the other parties have enough support, um, partly because while the Arab community is at least 20% of Israel, many do not vote. In the last elections, I believe it was about 40% of eligible voters in the Arab community did vote. And that was enough to send both Ram, I think, with four seats and the joint list with six seats into the Knesset. There was a higher 15 seats a few elections ago, uh, but we certainly haven't seen uh, anything like that level of excitement uh, in the AR community. And in fact, it seems to be even waning from that point. Um, as many predicted, the three parties would run again. But at the last minute, after some negotiations went awry, Balad, uh, definitely the most extreme of all the Arab parties, uh, decided, or it was decided for them, that they would not be able to join uh, the Tal-Hadash list. Tal uh, leader is Ahmed Tibi, Hadash leader is Ayman Uda, who is the leader of the joint list. Uh, Hadash, being a communist party, even has a Jew. You know, they usually place a Jew on their list. Uh, Tal is a um, uh, what they would call a, a center-left party, but on the Palestinian issue, obviously very pro-Palestinian. Ballad is even more extreme, does not believe there should be a state of Israel, at least a, a Jewish and democratic state of Israel, uh, believes it should be a state of all its citizens. And the fact remains that Ballad uh, were not on the joint list, and that could hamper both Balad's chances, which are now nowhere near the electoral threshold, but even potentially Um, the Tal Khadash list, which, according to many polls, is now polling around four, uh, perhaps five, which is, well, four is the lowest uh, that any party can get because of the electoral threshold. Um, So that's a real problem uh, for Balad certainly, and perhaps even for Tal Khadash list. Um, And what this does mean uh first of all that there's a few things that uh, commentators have indicated first of all it has raised slightly uh the chances of greater arab participation there are some in the arab community who would not vote for the joint list because they stand for one party and they disagree with some of the others you know uh, many uh average israeli Uh, sort of viewers would just see the Arab list as interchangeable, or does it matter if it's Balad, Tal, Fadash, Ram, they're all the same, although Ram obviously is an exception since since, uh, taking part in the the current government. Um, But there are differences, there's differences of religious outlook, of, uh, you know, where they stand uh, socially, financially, some are communist, as I said, some are more centrist. Uh, where they stand on a two-state solution, how they see the future of the State of Israel. So they actually there is a theory that perhaps this could ignite more excitement around some of the list because they've split and because ideologically now some voters may feel that they can vote for the party they want rather than the amalgamation. Um, that uh, you know, we, we see on the the Jewish Israeli side, many of the parties, that have run together in the past and never as strong as the sum of their parts individually. So that may also be true of the Arab streets as well. But uh, going up a few percent is not going to really make the difference. Balad. as I said, at this point in time, I know we're near. Um, They are trying to get uh, a message across to try and uh, engender widespread support by claiming that this was Yale Lapid's doing, It's, uh, it's a conspiracy trying to divide the Arab street even further, trying to make sure that there's less Arab uh, representation. Um, And that's a message which is starting to catch on. But again, according to all polls, they're nowhere near the electoral threshold. What we should also say is like other communities, many of the Israeli pollsters do not poll the Arab community as well uh, as they do some of the others. Uh, What this does do to the elections though, it certainly changes the map because, as we've talked about uh, previously if one party on one side of the map does not pass the electoral threshold that tilts everything towards the other and since this breakup and since balad have not been able to get anywhere near the electoral threshold every single poll from every pollster that's been released in the last five days and as we know israeli pollsters are probably the most successful Uh, job in Israel uh, during election time. There's there's polls, if not every day, every other day. Every single poll is now shown that the uh, so-called BB block, the the right-wing religious block led by Netanyahu, with the two ultra-Orthodox parties and the National Religious Party, get at least 60. Before this, they were polling 58, 59, not close enough to that hallowed 61 that we've talked about many, many times. Now, some polls have even given them as much as 62. Um, Netanyahu himself is certainly emboldened and is uh, telling all his supporters at all events, we already have 61 in our pocket. It's up to you whether we have more to really try and rally his supporters. But what is clear is the fact that Balad are running separately certainly tilts um, the map in favor of the right wing bloc. makes a left of center or anything that resembles the current government's chances of forming a government, I would say uh, relatively uh, minor. But the interesting thing is that, uh, as I said, that uh, Netanyahu's big uh, election sort of message in in the last couple of weeks is that uh, we can get at least 61. Uh, He put out a cryptic message about a week ago, one plus one equals four. And everyone was trying to study it and understand. And what does that mean? One plus one equals four. And how does it work out? What's he trying to hint at? In the end, uh, this great mystery was released. And what it means is if every person brings another person, we will have a stable government for four more years. And you'll see liquid uh, social media. Uh, full of people doing this with with for it's an interesting message again it basically just tried to make the case that of you know sort of uh talking less about policies less about ideology less about a manifesto or agenda and more about stability and more about trying to rally support um in opposition there's been an interesting idea by benny Gantz of the uh, national unity party um that actually he's the only one who can bring all the sides together and actually form a government it's a bit of a stretch because some of the parties he includes are merits labor with the ultra-orthodox parties and yesha Tid. uh and anyone knows that's a bit of a stretch the ultra-orthodox parties certainly would sit with Gantz, probably would sit with michaeli very slight chance that they would sit with lapid but the chance they would sit with Yisrael Beiteinu, our merits, very, very small. Uh, But he is trying to counter um, uh, Netanyahu's messaging that for sure uh, he is the only one who can bring a stable government uh, for the next four years. The other slight surprise uh, that came out just before the lists um, were submitted to the Electoral Commission was the fact that uh, the short-lived uh zionist spirit party which was ayelet shaked and some of the other former yamina uh mks uh, joined with yos hendel and Svika hauser uh to join the zionist spirit it was clear that they were they were struggling they were struggling even to get close to the threshold Um, but what was the biggest problem the biggest challenge for this relatively small uh, group, was that they could not agree what would happen after the elections. Ayelet Shaked very much wants to sit in a right-wing government. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about uh, a little bit more about uh, what she's now doing to try and make that happen. And Yos Hendel Zvika Hauser, who are no less uh, right-wing than Shaked, and certainly to the right of Netanyahu on many uh, issues, will not sit with him because they personally worked with him and they found his character to be flawed. They do not believe he is a good leader. They do not believe he's even right-wing enough. They will not sit with him. Um, And so that basically was one of the major sticking points. And in the end, they decided to go their separate ways. Hendel and Hauser have decided to take a break from politics uh, because without Shekhead, they stood even less chance. I think that on their own, they were polling point one, two, three. Of a percent, uh, which is obviously a long way from the electoral threshold. Uh, Ayala Shaked was looking to try and get closer to the threshold, so she came back full circle to the original project that her and, uh, you know, chiefly Naftali Bennett started a few years ago when they inherited the old Maftal, the national religious uh, party. Uh, They they rebranded it into the Jewish Home to try and make it more amenable to traditional Israeli secular Israelis to get some excitement and, and at first there certainly was excitement and that uh changed into certain iterations Yamina they 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 ran with uh B'tsado Smotrich. other times they ran with this one or that one um but the uh the um national um the Jewish home party had basically been taken over and was pretty irrelevant. uh they still owned the party they still had Um, uh, the infrastructure, uh, but it didn't seriously make a dent into any uh, recent uh, electoral polls. So um, we've seen that Shakeda is now reunited with them. Again, they're struggling. Um, They're not a million miles away from electoral threshold, but at this point in time, it's unlikely they will pass. They have to come up with something new and unique uh, to try and uh, convince people that it's it's a worthy party to look at. There is, to a certain extent, a space on the political map for a more moderate, religious, uh, right-wing party. Uh, and interestingly, uh, at the event where they launched their campaign, Ayelet Shaker did try and make some headlines, and certainly did make headlines, uh, by basically apologising, apologising for... I'm paraphrasing here for abandoning the right for sitting in this government, uh, for all the things that have happened over the year, because obviously she's been criticised quite a lot for it. Um, so that apology made quite a lot of news. Uh, others shot back and said, "Well, if, you if you're apologising for sitting in this government, you're still still sitting in this government as Minister of the Interior. You can leave at any time. You can resign your position, which she clearly has no intention of doing." So. Uh, it hasn't it, it did get a lot of attention but it hasn't given her as much uh traction as she would like finally uh, we have a bit of a bombshell uh today it was released that Yale lapid prime minister interim prime minister as many like to point out uh, will be speaking at the UN General Assembly tomorrow all the leaders of um, uh, you know, all, all the recognised uh, UN nations in the world speak every September about their agenda, et cetera, et cetera. But it comes out that Yair Appeared will be the first prime minister in a while to go to the UN and talk about the need to push forward on a on a diplomatic uh, vision for two states for two people, uh, and even calling on uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the Palestinian leader. Don't forget, this is only a few weeks after he. You know, utilized and appropriated the Holocaust for political agenda and was slammed by it chiefly by Lapid himself, who is a, a second-generation Holocaust survivor, uh, he basically invited Mahmoud Abbas to come to the UN, or to come, sorry, to the Knesset and speak and move the, uh, the negotiations forward. Or he said he would go uh, to Amala and speak there. Um, it was a, a bit of a bombshell. One can imagine a number of years ago, it was it wouldn't have been such a strange thing for an Israeli leader. In fact, even uh, Netanyahu, on certain occasions, did call for the Palestinians to negotiate, uh, sometimes using the terminology of a two states for two people, other times not. But certainly it hasn't been used for a while. There hasn't really been any significant negotiations for quite a while. Uh, And most Israelis have sort of pushed their attention away from the Palestinians. Obviously, a spate of terror attacks, and sometimes, you know, the, the conflict uh, uh, in Gaza, either Hamas or Islamic Jihad comes up. Uh, in fact, there was a terror attack yesterday, which claimed the life of an 85-year-old uh, who was murdered. Uh, so the Palestinian issue is on the agenda, but the idea that uh, negotiations can be moved forward with someone like Mahmoud Abbas, especially after what we're seeing in the Palestinian Authority, that he's losing power, he's losing grip, um, does seem out of place, but it does seem like it's uh, a, a gambit by Lapid to try and focus uh, the left or the left of centre into an agenda, and he's trying to show that he is a statesperson. He is a person who can uh, deal with the pressing issues, even if most Israelis would not describe it as pressing. In fact, every poll that I've seen puts the uh, Palestinian issue negotiations, at least, uh, rather than security issue, really, really low down their agenda. Uh, but perhaps Yeshatira are reading different polls, have polled differently, perhaps for their base. This works very well. The fact is that they've released these details a day in advance to try and get some attention. Uh, perhaps before it, uh, there has been a lot of attention. Uh, as one can imagine, those on the left have welcomed it those on the right have slammed it and tried to point out that this is why they felt that, yeah, Lapid as prime minister was such a danger, um, a return to Oslo as as some have called it. So it does seem like for the first time in quite a number of elections, quite a number of years, it seems like the Palestinian issue could be back on the political agenda because when the prime minister raises it, especially at the UN, and I'm sure uh, beyond that, um, it will certainly be something on the mind and will perhaps take the ideologies back to where they are, the left and the right, and really showing uh, where people stand and where the parties stand on this. So that's quite rare because, as as I've been saying for, for a number of weeks, there aren't really issues at stake. There's more about personalities, more about electoral mathematics. Um, so now we do have an issue which is certainly going to divide the political parties. Um, and we'll see uh, exactly how that plays it out in the coming days and weeks and with that. Happy to answer any questions.
0: All right, thank you so much. So the first one is from Larry Greenberg. He did touch on at Shaked, but he asked specifically uh, your opinion as to whether she will pass the threshold and in by doing so will overcome the disappointment of some of her voters for joining Bennett in the previous government. And if so, will she get a ministerial role?
1: If she passes the threshold, then, then yes, because quite simply, if Netanyahu gets 60, 61, I mean, it depends what, what. if she passes the threshold, minimum, she has to have at least four seats. Uh, if Netanyahu gets 58, 59, 60, then she can pretty much decide whatever ministry she likes, because uh, Netanyahu will be desperate to have her. Um, If, and and obviously she'll be much easier to deal with than someone like Benny Gantz, which is probably the next best option. If he gets the 61, then obviously the need for her will be lesser and the price will be smaller. Uh, I think she'll want to join the government, A, because she'll want to be in the government and everyone always wants to be in the government, but also to sort of show that she's returned to the right. Uh, This is a slogan that she's trying to push out. So I'm sure she uh, would be welcome. you know, to make it a more stable government? Uh, would she be able to choo- uh, choose whatever ministry she liked? Probably not. But again, um, don't forget, uh, out of the parties on the right, you have the, the ultra-Orthodox parties, which don't haven't got their eyes on some of the more interesting or more high-level ministries. You'll never see a, an ultra-Orthodox, I would say never, but certainly not at the moment. You won't see an ultra-Orthodox foreign minister. You won't see an ultra-Orthodox defense minister. Education minister, probably not. Um, so unless you're gonna give them to Likud or religious Zionists, uh, Shaked will probably be more amenable to the general public and even the international community. Um, if I was a betting man and I want to put money on whether Shaked will pass the electoral, electoral threshold, at the moment, no, because I don't see that she's offering a compelling campaign Um, But that could change. Maybe she hasn't dealt a big card yet. The big apology, as I said, I'm not sure if that's going to be a winning gambit. Um, It's probably the first step that she needs to take to um, gain some of uh, her supporters back. Because let's not forget a few years ago, Yeltshikhet was the rising star in Israeli politics. People are talking about her as being a future prime minister. But since then, her star has fallen dramatically. Uh, even at one point when she was running the party, uh, Yamina, I think it was at that point, they didn't even pass the electoral threshold. Uh, so since then, she's basically really just you know, clung on and she's been in this government. So um, it's going to be a hard case to make. You never say never, because who knows what will happen. But at this point in time, I don't think she will pass the electoral threshold.
0: Thank you so much for that. Stuart brought us. Uh, is there any trustworthy information as to why Naftali Bennett has withdrawn from the political arena?
1: Well, first of all, he's still at this point in the political arena. He's not running in the um uh upcoming elections. He is still alternate prime minister with responsibility on the Iranian nuclear portfolio. Interestingly, he did come out tonight. He was one of those who reacted to these reports or these leaks about. Uh, Prime Minister interim Prime Minister whatever you want to call him yeah in a speech about endorsing the two states for two people's uh, solution and calling on uh, Mahmoud Abbas to negotiate he basically said that this was a, a bad idea he slammed it in quite a long uh, Facebook post uh, saying that it's, it's not the right thing to do etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, but probably probably the reason he step- he's, he will be stepping out of politics is because again, like Ayelet Shaked, if not worse, uh, his star has fallen. Um, he has very little support, very little base to call on. Probably, if I was advising him, I would have advised exactly what he's doing to step out. Uh, it could be in a year or so. People look back on this government, they see it wasn't so bad on certain issues. Uh, perhaps you can already see the start of you know, improvements in certain areas. You know, Israeli politics, Israelis, on the whole, are very conservative with a small C. They like the devil they know. Uh, They don't like to take a chance on new faces. And um, that's why so many people can make comebacks. If you look at the whole list, Sharon, Perez, Netanyahu, Barak, Livni, uh, Rabin, uh, you know, these are all politicians who at one point left the political scene, uh, sometimes in disgrace, sometimes failing, sometimes they just, you know, uh, lost badly whatever the reason and they came back uh, quite strongly at a later point i think uh, Bennett i don't think we've seen the loss of Bennett in the political arena i think he just realizes at this point after being prime minister it would be very very hard to you know to to go back to being a regular member of Knesset he won't even be leader of opposition even if he ran and he managed to pass the threshold he would be a leader of a relatively irrelevant party uh, so I think he realizes that at this point he should take uh, a step back. and but as I said, I, I, I think he'll he'll be back again in the future.
0: Thank you And speaking of Lapid's upcoming speech, uh, how will the two-state solution negotiations uh, move forward with the upcoming elections and if the Netanyahu bloc gets gets the, the majority?
1: Well, as I, it, it, you know, when Lapid was writing a speech, um, I don't think he really thought that anything can happen. Abu Maz Mahmoud Abbas is in no position himself. I mean, he's got a bit of a civil war in his hands. With Hamas, the street, his his um, Palestinian Authority police were attacked on the streets of uh, Shem uh, yesterday. It, it's clear that he has no mandate, no power and no interest to negotiate. This was more for the Israeli public. This was more as a campaign gambit to try and differentiate himself perhaps from uh, someone like Benny Gantz, for example, as we've talked, they are fighting over a similar audience. Benny Gantz uh, will struggle uh, to define himself in this issue because he has people like Eisenkot who are probably to the left of Lapid or certainly to the left of Gantz on this issue. But then you have Gidon Saar, a major partner, I think number two on the list, who is adamantly against the two-state solution and in fact slams Lapid for even even suggesting that he will come out and talk about it tomorrow. So um, it's probably a way to differentiate himself, uh, to come out and lead, look like he's open to negotiations, he's open to meeting with uh, Mahmoud Abbas, who he has met with. But again, he slammed recently because of the the misuse and abuse of the Holocaust. Um, So it it, it wasn't really, I, I don't believe that there's really any mechanism that's being pushed forward these negotiations to take place it was more uh rhetoric that's going to be uh, useful for the upcoming elections
0: understood uh carrie hillebrand asked there were reports of pal- pakistani and indonesian di- diplomatic delegations in israel what do you know of these visits and are diplomatic relations on the horizon
1: I don't know if these were diplomatic. Um, <clears throat> I think there were some delegations that wasn't clear exactly <coughs> uh, who and what. I, I've certainly, when I was uh, working in government, I, I met with Indonesian uh, delegations. Pakistan is a little bit different. There is a <clears throat> talk that Indonesia, you know, if there were more countries to join the sort of so-called circle of peace, the Abraham Accords, excuse me, that Indonesia uh, would be uh, one of the next possibilities, and certainly there's reason for that. There's been a lot of steps, and there's a, a you know quite a certain amount of um, cooperation behind the scenes. Pakistan is a lot more difficult, it's a lot more antagonistic towards Israel. <laughs> I believe last time a Pakistani um, journalists came to Israel, he, will, he lost his job upon his return. So I don't think it will be, a, it certainly won't be any official government or, or, or ambassadorial position or anything like that. Um, but it does show that the taboo against visiting Israel, uh, even amongst those nations which do not have relations and are even officially antagonistic towards Israel, has been broken to a certain extent. And we, we're seeing these delegate these types of delegations relatively often. This is not necessarily something new, especially from the Indonesian side.
0: Absolutely. And Barack Korkmaz asks, "What about Turkish-Israeli relations? Is this strategic cooperation? Is strategic cooperation on the horizon, or is it just pragmatic leadership?"
1: I think there's there's certainly a certain amount of Pragmatism and uh, Yale yeah, appeared. I think is going to meet with um, <clears throat> uh, Erdogan, Turkey's Erdogan. I I believe at the UN. I think I saw mention of that, um, and that's certainly historic. I don't think that Erdogan has met with a prime minister for a good number of years. He did meet with the president, um, uh, bouji Herzog a few months ago. Uh, you know, he was invited to Ankara. And there was a state ceremony, etc., etc. But prime minister level is a whole different. Uh, uh, level to that. Um, and there's a return of ambassadors. Uh, it, it's still at the pragmatic level. I don't. We, we certainly are not seeing the warm ties that there used to be uh, before Erdogan, and I don't think we'll get back to that. Um, but there's an understanding that Erdogan needs Israel at this point, both regionally, economically, diplomatically. And I think Israel is responding to that uh, they understand, you know, they have eyes wide open about the meaning of this relationship, um, but I think it will certainly get uh, stronger, uh, but that is from a very, very weak position uh, that we had a year, year and a half ago.
0: Thank you. And last question. Stephen Orlo asks, how do the pending criminal court cases affect the prospect of Netanyahu serving out a full four-year term, should he get it?
1: <laughs> well, as I've said, um, Uh, You know, the court case is going slowly, and that's very much uh, in Netanyahu's favour. His lawyers are very much interested in delaying um, stalling as much as possible, to to let it go on as long as possible. But even when a verdict comes down, there'll be quite a lot of appeals. Uh, You know, people talked at the beginning that this could go three, four, five years until there's a final decision uh, one way or another. Uh, The big debate is whether uh, what happens in November in the elections could lend themselves towards a plea bargain. He was close to a plea bargain um, earlier in the year. um, But coming back to Balfour, coming back to the prime ministership, perhaps gives him more leverage if he's prepared to give it up. I'm I'm sure he, he isn't. But what will be interesting to see is if he does get a stable right wing religious government, how much will he be able to do insofar as ridding himself completely of this case, perhaps uh, trying to pass a law as was attempted at the early stages previously of basically saying that uh, a prime minister cannot uh, be indicted or the case, whatever it is, that there's a few different ways that he can basically get rid of the court case completely uh, legislatively, uh, whether that would survive a high court Um, You know, sort of a a, a decision or position on it, that's up for debate. But that was certainly uh, a a big issue for Netanyahu in the past in coalition negotiations. And I'm sure if he, uh, when he tries to get uh, a government together, especially if he's able to get over that 61 with his right wing religious partners, I'm sure that will be back on the agenda.
0: Thank you so much. We've come so close to our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. Okay. For, of for our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Jonathan Schanzer discussing Dateline Saudi reporting on the tumultuous U.S. relations. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.